Welcome to the Pod the Lab Invertebrate Biology Series. This podcast series is designed to help you explore the diversity and role of invertebrate life on this planet. You'll meet researchers from the School of Biological, Earth and Environmental Sciences and invertebrate curators from Australian museums. Welcome, Ian, and thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We're going to be talking to you a lot about the big picture for our blue spaces, what ties everything together, what the future holds. You do a lot of research on plankton as well. You talk a lot about fish, but plankton is um, kind of captured your heart, hasn't it? It has. Yeah. Yeah. So um, every, uh, there's what, 33 animal phyla on planet, that is, you know, big uh, animal kingdoms, big classifications, chunks of life, uh, 33, these big, uh, and there's, 32 of them are found in plankton. It's yeah. really diverse. It's beautiful. Um, and it's, um, it's, it's all mostly all microscopic, not totally. You've got jellyfish and, and krill and so on. But uh, really, it's just amazing diversity. And so we, when you dive into that beautiful crystal clear water, um, <laughs> you have all this plankton that's stuck in your hair, or oh, little tiny bits <laughs> of it, occasionally stuck in your hair or your swimsuit. And, and, and you know, there's um in that plankton. Remember, there's also about a, a million bacteria per milliliter of seawater. Um, half a million to a million. You, you're the you're the the, you know, the microbiologist. But um, it's a really this is only kind of revealed in the last uh, kind of twenty years. Yeah. Realize such diversity of bacteria, let alone all the copepods and all the diatoms and the plants and the animals, single-celled plants. That um, and the plankton and and I guess to really get your listeners' attention, every second breath you take, you can thank the oceans, these ecosystem services that we get for free. And imagine if you had to pay for every lungful of air. You know what would you pay? A dollar, fifty uh, cents for a lung. A lot less than that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I don't know. I'd want, a, I'd, want a, I'd want a free trial. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I like my lungfuls of air, and yeah. um, every second one, I tend to rethink really uh, the environment, and it, usually from the ocean. That all that phytoplankton, the algae, the single-celled mm. plants of the ocean, are taking in our carbon dioxide and using photosynthesis and releasing oxygen, and in doing so, you know, these nice little tasty plant morsels that then little tiny copepods, which are tiny little uh, crustaceans, small little shrimps, they eat that up. And they convert that into protein. And then these little small bait fish that I find also fascinating, <laughs> fascinating, like sardines and, and uh, what we call uh, yellowtail scad or yakka, um, they scoop up the zooplankton. And then nice big tuna and those yellowtail kingfish, they come and eat those sardines and, and yakka and uh, ends up on, our, on, the, on the table occasionally. So the cycle of life is uh, really yeah. there in the plankton. The plankton just I find remarkable. Um, and it's such an ecosystem that is not structured by trees and rocks and soil, but it's just in this sort of clear medium of water and a fantastic volume. 70% of the surface is habitat for plankton. So, and they've had, you know, hundreds of millions of years to evolve and adapt and, and cope. And um, it's now, it's just part of our resource and really part of our future that if we don't um, really understand the plankton, then we can't really 
manage our own growth in population and, and how we uh, deal with the environment um, at sea or even on land. Uh, the plankton is quite remarkable. You've spoken about the East Australian current, uh, coastlines, plankton, all the way from the water through to restaurant plate. What What is it? When, do you, when did you first feel that affinity to know so much about the ocean? Do you remember what inspired you to take this journey in your life? Yeah. Um, I guess when I was a teenager, I was a bit of a fish head. Yeah. I just like to go fishing. I like to keep tanks of fish. Started fish off with goldfish. I think fish. is a technical term we use in science. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you're a surfer, we call you a waxhead. And if yeah, you're exactly. Into, if you're into fish, then you're a fish head. And um, I was definitely a fish head. Um, just loved. I think I, because I could see personalities and expressions and traits and all these different species of fish. And even within monks, my when I was a ten year old, these little goldfish that I kept. But then I graduated, obviously, to um, to big, fan, you know, to tropical fish like oscars and all their territoriality and their their courtship, and you'd see a splash of water, and you know, go out under the floor in the living room, and and then I um, stepped up into marine fish. And I think it was that point I was in at this very influential point in my life, was second year university, where um, people from in those days the CSIRO Marine Lab was based out at Cronulla here in, in southern Sydney. And there's a lady there, um, Pauline, who brought along a bucket of fresh zooplankton. And that's, I still remember looking down in the microscope and looking at her with, with open eyes and my jaw kind of dropped. Um, <laughs> I had no idea. I really had no idea. And um, then I found these same little uh, crustaceans, little copepods in my own marine fish tank. And yeah. my supervisor said, well, they're part of the whole ecology ecosystem within your tank to keep it healthy. Yeah. Um, and that's when I think the light started to come on. But then as you, as I finished up that um, my third and fourth year, you're thinking, well, you know, what next? And um, I, I credit my dad with this comment. I don't know if he actually said the exact words, but it mm-hmm. comes to the fact of, well, this marine biology is all very well, but when are you going to get a real job? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think every marine scientist has heard that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, at the, because I was young and naive, and I just shrugged and thought, well, you know, she'll be right. Um, and away I went, and I bumped into this Canadian, um, and I knew that I wanted to. Canada was really big into fisheries research. You know, the you know Canadian Journal of Fishing and Aquatic Sciences is a great scientific journal yeah. that the Canadian uh, government had supported, and so I um, I knew going to Canada would be a, a smart move. And hey, I wanted to travel, so I got that and. Um, I was working more on fish than I was on plankton, but I realized that um, the really interesting bits would be dealing with um, going, you know, marine fish. And for, to do that is, is tough to get into. It's all the maths that's involved and, and forecasting and fishery science. It's very mathematical. And I wasn't strong at mathematics, <laughs> to say the least. So, um, but plankton was a good niche. And I remembered that what Pauline showed me back in my second year lab. So um, I went to Dalhousie on the east coast of Canada and they had ships that were just devoted to understanding those drivers of their fishery. And that was through plankton. And it's in the plankton that I found these little baby larval fish. Um, so those big, magnificent Atlantic cod as, as, big, as, as big as I am, yeah. as adults, you know, spew out millions of eggs in each spawning bout over Brown's Bank just off the coast of Halifax there. 
and then these little tiny larvae that are that hatch out at uh, 2.83 millimeters long, and then they grow and grow. Um, they're about sort of uh, 20 millimeters long by the end of the summer, and they reach sort of uh, 20 centimeters long by the end of their first year. And if they can dodge the seals, then um, after one year they now will grow and join the fishery. And um, what a what a fishery that was <laughs> up until <laughs> up until the night late 19. 19, about 1990, yeah. when the moratorium came and the collapse of the Canadian cod. I always feel guilty. My PhD, I must have caught about, I don't know, 10,000 baby <laughs> cod, which sounds like a huge number. Um, remember, these baby cod are dying at 10 or 20% per day so um, through natural causes. So, and I was trying to understand those natural causes so we could forecast better. But you always feel a bit guilty about that. <laughs> All those ones that went into jars. <laughs> They did. They did. And um, I'm still actually uh, digging into those data sets even, uh, you know, 30 years later. It's, um, it's quite an interesting exercise. And of course, my supervisor is, uh, my PhD supervisor has just retired himself. So uh, we still keep in contact and um, he's, just, he's witnessed massive changes in the ecosystem of the East Coast of Canada. Um, uh, for different reasons, we're seeing massive changes that are starting to appear off the East Coast of Australia. And so it's um, sometimes with gray hair, it's interesting uh, to actually see the changes that are happening and to understand um, if they're scary changes or they're just yeah. natural changes um, and, uh, it's, and why yeah. and what can we do about it if we, if we want to do something about it. Can we um, learn anything from what happened in Canada in that fishery and is there, are there lessons that we can apply as things are changing here, even with different causes? Yeah, um, good question. Um, you know, the, the human, um, the human condition is not good to listening to science and the human condition is not good to looking at history either. Uh, we tend to repeat it, but, um, yes, there are many lessons, how we manage a fishery cost effectively. You know, you don't want to just burden it with all kinds of, uh, bureaucracy and science and rules and regulations, I, I, I get that. But um, there is definitely ways that we could do it better, and we'll have to. Yeah. Um, in fact, I think it's quite exciting, uh, Tracy, for some of the possibilities for the future. So the lessons from that were that the um, that traditional methods uh, couldn't keep up with the changing technology and the improving knowledge that the that those fishermen had, and so therefore a day spent at sea was far more effective um, in the 1990s than it was back in the 1960s. So um, now we've got, uh, we're looking at this, this new environment and we increasing demand for fish and to feed a, a growing planetary population. We need to really uh, better manage the continental shelf. That is our new frontier. That's our new um, farmland, our new, um, uh, where we, because remember that, when the settlers first came to Australia, they came in with guns and sheep and they chopped down trees and they grew paddocks and to put in pasture and all that kind of stuff. So in some ways, a little less dramatically, we need to put in kinds of infrastructure to be able to um, manage our fishery and to improve the survival of those little larval fish. So rather than losing, you know, 10 or 20% per day when they're first uh, spawned by mum and dad fish, Maybe that we'd only lose um, sort of nine or 19% per day. And when you've got billions of eggs, 
that comes out as a big number yeah. for future fisheries. And so that's the sort of thing that we're looking at in how we can improve the natural production of fish. We can just nudge it, nurture it a little better. Um, and so we can still have our, you know, what is it? I keep our mm -hmm. fish and have it too. Nice. You you mentioned fishermen and their their knowledge of what they're catching out in the ocean, um, and their involvement in um, in the fishery. Uh, is building those relationships between science, fishermen, and government is it is it a challenge? Wow, Tracy, you're asking these great questions. That yes, it's a huge challenge, and um, but it's it's such a lack, and it always has been a lack. And I squirm as a scientist that I haven't spent more time chatting to fishing communities, fishing captains, because they see it, and what and they're and they're really smart because they've got to deal with you know computers and satellite images and drive ships and navigate and deal with price. And, and fluctuations and landings and rules and regulations, it's, it's quite complicated and they do it really well. I don't know how they can, you know, some is a bit overwhelming. So to talk to them is really eye-opening. And I always relish the, the privilege that is when I get to chat to these guys because I know I'm humbled. They know so much more than I do. Um, but they give me the respect because I've got a, I've written a PhD thesis on Atlantic cod. But um, so we do need to far better. I think that's one of the great, that's one of the biggest problems we've got to, so we don't go down the path of that, you know, east coast of Canada cod collapse, was is to just chat more to the fishing communities, not just um, the person that drives the boat, but the guys in the deck and the person back in the in the fish co-op where they deal with the with the fish and their and how many the weights and the sizes because they get to see jeepers these fish are coming in a bit smaller this time of year or compared to last year or they've got a lot more spots and dots they don't look they look a bit skinny all that kind of stuff um because they see fish all the time they get to see stuff that you or i might just go yeah it's a fish so what so um I think talking to them and seeing what they've got, and I feel, uh, I say this, but I feel bad that I haven't done much about it just because um, based in Sydney or, um, and, you know, I've got to prepare for tomorrow's lectures and I really need to just spend more time seeing what, asking about what they see. Um, you've got this incredible experience along the coast and in the water and knowledge all the way from the ocean through to the fish. Um, for people to get involved in, in what you do and learn more about your research and, and make those connections, how can they do that? Yeah. Um, so there are these days, of course, there are um, much better ways with the with, with this multimedia. You can um, look at, follow um, you and other people with, with, with on Twitter and on Facebook to learn what's actually happening and when you can get to meet people when they have... Um, uh, festivals and celebrations by the sea. But I think that's only start of it. You really need to get your credentials so that you can talk the talk. And to do that, you need to have the courage to, you know, pack up your bags and go to one of the, any of the universities um, around the coast just to learn about how to identify those plankton, um, what is important in terms of their, their DNA and their cells and their, the bacteria that they interact with 
and then um, how does that then translate into a fishery and the economics and you've got climate. When you've got that ground, it sounds like a lot, but over, you know, three years, and it's a hell of a ride, it's a great time. Um, then three years, then maybe you could um, even do an honours year, which helps you do a little bit of a research and teaching at the same time. It's a, it's a mix and match. It's kind of fun. And then you're in great shape to actually, you've got some, you probably don't realise it, but you've got all, especially from your background you had as a kid with your parents, now you bring that in with this bit of training you've had at university. Then you can go back to the, to the society or to the boats um, or to Canberra um, to actually um, make the place a better place, make, make things work better, to improve the communication. You know, we, we, we don't communicate very well as humans. We, we, we read Twitter casts and so on, but we don't actually uh, communicate. And to do that, um, you often have to um, do it, you know, personally, either by like a video link like this, or we actually, um, uh, you know, sit around a campfire on a field trip and and talk about, you know, plankton in, in Smith's Lake and the fish there that feed on that plankton and how they appear um, at 100 tons per year going through the co-op just down the street. Um, that's that's fantastic, and I love that you brought that up because you've you've taught so many students. You've taught postgraduate students how to study the ocean, how to do research. You've published, I think, over 200 um, research articles about um, the research that you've done. For you, what has been the most significant part of all of that? Yeah, wow, scary question. Um, It's been a journey. It still is a journey. And certainly having those students now um, who are your your colleagues, it's funny uh, when I went for promotion a few years ago, and and I said uh, they said, well, how do you, how come you got all these students? You know, you you supervise them. How do you do it? And I said, well, I don't really supervise my these these students because they they're young, they're smart, they're motivated. And Steinberg, who was on the committee at the time, he butted in and said, I think Ian means that he's a mentor. So I mentor all these guys, and they become your friends, uh, your colleagues, and now they are in the US dealing with ways to stop boats running into um, leatherback turtles or, or, or seals. Um, they're in Western Australia dealing with um, mullets and, and tailor fisheries, or they're releasing young prawns into estuaries on the South Coast. And it's, that is what gives me, gets me out of you know, bed and gives me a buzz is because I'm dealing with, or I have dealt with all these really cool, motivated, clever people who are going on to such great careers and doing stuff that, well, I'd like to do what they're doing because I'm just seeing all the easy, yeah. the nice bits, the, the outcome, not, not all the hard work that went in to get them to all these places. But it's just great to see that. And, and that's, for me, um, you know, if I got run over by a bus tomorrow, heaven forbid, I think I'd, I'd uh, be really uh, satisfied. I'd be really um, overwhelmed by what, these students have achieved. That's fantastic. Thanks so much. That's awesome. Thank you for listening to the Pod the Lab Invertebrate Biology Series podcast. For any more information regarding the content in this course, please email me at tracy.ainsworth at unsw.edu.au.